Well, we are really excited to have uh, Ruth uh, come and deliver the word. Why don't, you, why don't you come on up? Before handing over Mike, just a couple things. Um, you know, one, uh, this is really the capstone um, sermon, I think. We'll see what the Lord does this next week. But a capstone uh, for this particular sermon series on the narrative. The Lord gave me this uh, several months ago. Just, you know, there is a certain narrative that the world is trying to uh, teach, right? Um, and, you know, this is really personal to me because uh, I'm, a, I'm a high school teacher. And seeing the narrative that the world wants to bring is unbelievable. And unbelievably uh, against the word of the Lord, right? I mean, you name it, right? <laughs> now, well, we can, we can name it. You can just go back on YouTube and, and see the different things that we were touching on. And so about a month ago, we were, we were going to have uh, Ruth... Teach on, the, uh, teach on the making of a, a biblical woman, which is a better phrase than I was using. I like that. Um, I just picked up on that now, funny enough. Um, but uh, the snow came, so uh, we, we can do that. So uh, last we're here. But I just want to take a moment. You know, um, both Mark and uh, Ruth have been such a blessing to us, right? And I can tell you personally uh, from Josh and I, uh, they both have been such a blessing uh, to us, just honoring us. And, you know, when we opened up in the beginning of COVID, uh, making that step, they were just in such support uh, because it was a very unique thing. I mean, we were one of the few around that did that. Uh, and they were just have been so supportive. You know, as a smaller congregation, man, it can get tough at times. It really can get tough on, on multiple levels, whether it's financially, spiritually, whatever it may be. But they're always there, just speaking a better word, just speaking the mind of Messiah over us. And I didn't even get a chance, you know, last Sunday, Mark was just, whether you knew it or not, I'm sure you did. I mean, he was just prophetically, just giving prophetic words over both Josh and I and over the church. And it's just those types of things that really speak so deeply to us, so deeply. And so I just want to give a moment just to honor the Hendricksons. Lord, we just thank you so much for them. Everything they've been to us, guidance, counsel, just says, both a, a, a father and mother in the spirit just give us, giving us wisdom and insight. It's just been very powerful, Lord. We just pray a blessing over them. And we're so excited to hear uh, what the Lord has given uh, unto, unto Ruth in this hour. Amen? Amen. Oops, sorry about that. All right. So I want to say one thing about what happened last night. I was not here, but I heard about it. And I think the timing is very interesting because as you as a body, and this speaks to you also, Dave, have, have just been following out the narrative. You know, we cannot walk in the way God wants us to walk or have the impact that God wants us to have or usher heaven into earth if we don't understand what our narrative is, if we don't know that the Bible's our plumb line, if we let the, the earth speak louder, the world around us speak louder than heaven. And so I just loved hearing this morning how great last night went and, and how the Lord just used Pastor Clayton because, and, and how he's been preparing, like he's been plowing and preparing the soil. And it's only the first fruits of what's to come. And so that's why we keep seeing this ramping up and ramping up and ramping up. And we're not just going to see that corporately, but as we understand what the Word of God says is that is our plumb line. As we resolutely stand upon the Word of God, we're going to see the power of God come in ways that we've never even imagined. And for too long, the, the, the church has sounded like a kitten rather than a lion. And the world has been roaring like a lion. 
if you want to think of uh, Lion King, like Scar, Scar has been having this big, big roar. And it's time for the body of Christ to come back with the roar of the Lion of Judah. And so, yeah, just give the Lord a hand. Just say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. It's time to roar. It's time to roar. And it's happening in churches around the world. God's rising up. He's rising up. He's saying, when are my people going to really stand? So anyways, I just want to encourage you to keep, to keep going for it. Um, with that, let's transition to the message. I'm going to warn you, this is going to go a little long today. If you have to leave, you are free to leave. Um, but I would encourage you to stay, and I promise to keep it as short and concise as possible. But the thing is, when we talk about what a biblical woman looks like, Dave had originally tagged it biblical femininity. We renamed it. Um, <laughs> but, but as we look at this, there's so much controversy surrounding this whole topic in the body of Christ. And then we have cultural expectations and norms coming in. And so what's happened is actually is all this has come in because we haven't fully understood what the word of God has said, that it's disempowered the church because we're not walking in the fullness of unity that the Lord has called us to walk in. So how many of you guys want to see the fullness of the kingdom of heaven in all aspects of our lives? Okay. So, so part of the reason this is going to go a little longer today is because we have to unpack some things because I can't just skip to the end slide. And so I might rattle some cages. Can I rattle some cages? Yeah. All right. All, as always, if you don't agree with something I say, dive into the word of God. Study it. Go into it. Don't let the culture or even your religious tradition speak louder than what the word of God says. And remember, we're called to test everything, right? Yeah. You're to test everything. And so we come in, but the only way we can test is to go back and say, God, this is where I stand. So you show me and you help unravel this. So, you know, here's the thing. I'm going to go back to a couple of things that Pastor Davis said as he's gone through this series. One is if we stand on the word of God, there's how many genders? Wow, there was a hesitation there. Let's try that again. If we, let me, gender, gender, okay, you know. Okay, so if you were to look up this up online, there's between 58 and 72 genders, okay? That's how far off track our world has gone, okay? Don't even ask. Don't, do, not, do not ask for a list, okay? But the thing is, according to the Bible, it's real easy. There's how many? And what are they? Okay, so that's our plumb line right there. That's where we're going to start is right at the basics, okay? And, you know, Genesis 1.27 says, And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, let me ask you something. Had Eve been created yet? No. no. Just, just stick that in the back of your mind, okay? Just remember, God always has a plan. And God's plan and his purpose is always perfect. Even if it leaves us a little confused at times. Amen? Eileen, I want to hear an amen right there. Doesn't God sometimes leave us confused at times? Yeah, okay. All right. I just, I just want to make sure that we're good because, you know. Um, so, again, we have to understand what our basis is, and we go back and we weigh everything by the word of God. 
We cannot afford to let the culture have a stronger voice in our belief system and the corresponding behavior than what the Bible does. We just can't. We can't. And one of the things that's been happening in Christianity, and you guys have heard me talk about this before, is there's a mix coming in of what the culture says, of what other religions say, of what the New Age movement says, because we want to be comfortable. And you see, when we align with the Word of God, it will become uncomfortable. When we align with the Word of God, we will be ridiculed. But when we align with the God, there is a level of power and authority released that only comes from walking with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and following his mandate. So it's time to stop making excuses. So as we look at this, um, you know, like I said, there's theological debates, well-meaning men and women debate some of the scriptures we're going to go through. We have to talk about Paul eventually. I, I just, I looked for a way to get around Paul, can't get around Paul. And so, you know, we're going to tackle some of those, um, just a few of them, give you some things to think about. Um, you know, so again, here's my request. Everything bathe it in love. Your conversations with each other, with other people, bathe it in love. And, um, and the second, again, is that we're willing to allow our traditions and our thoughts and our beliefs to get a little shaken and ourselves to get a little uncomfortable. Are we good? Yes. All right, so with that, you ready to dive in? For those of you who are taking notes, just do a few finger exercises there. Get those hands ready to go. Okay, because we're going to take off. There is a quote by Chris Vallotton that I absolutely love. He says, in a healthy culture, organization, or family, where men and women have the freedom to operate in their strengths, these gender distinctions bring great balance and synergistic insights that benefit people. Isn't it good? When we operate in our strengths, when we operate in the reality of who God made us to be, everything changes. And it brings this, this unity together that is really hard to see in our present situation. So let me give you some fun facts, okay? Number one, men's brains are about 10% larger than women's. Yeah. So when you feel like you have to knock them down to size a little bit, okay. So yeah, men's brains are about 10% larger than women's. But within the women, there's certain areas of our brains that have more, they, they have more nerve cells. Uh-huh. There we go. Dave's like, yep, okay. You also have to, when you have a teacher sit in the room, you're like, oh boy. Okay, now, now you're all going to relate to this one. Men keep it simple and only use one side of their brain at a time. <laughs> okay. Um, Women are more complex. Glory, hallelujah, amen. Okay. Because we're using both. <laughs> that's right. Mark and I say that to each other all the time, and that's why you have me, dear. That is why you have me. Okay, here's another one. Men love the facts. I don't want the fluff. I just want the facts. And they're looking at us going, da, 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 da. It's like, come on. But they just want to cut it right through. One of my intercessors will email me and he goes, all I want is the bullet points, Ruth. All I want is the bullet points. Okay. So the men love the facts. But us women, we'd like to feel our way through situations. Right? 
okay, we're going we're gonna to be feeling and touching everything. And the guys are like, stone cold facts, man, stone cold facts. Now, some of you guys are going, but that's not me. Remember, God is diverse, okay? And so, so these are like categories or what we see for most people, but it doesn't mean all. Because God has created each one as a unique individual. And so that's why we talk about some men might have a little more of the touchy-feely side. That's a gift from the Lord. They're still a guy, okay? And there's women who are, give me the facts. I just want the bullet points. You know, that's fine too. Because we don't want to box God in. Okay, but again, we have men and we have women. But within that, there's so much wonderful variety. So let me state again that as long as the demonic and the various interpretation of Scripture can keep men and women in the body of Christ warring against one another, the church will never, ever have the impact that we are created to have. Okay? It's, it is a demonic assignment against the church, which has been highly, highly successful on many levels. And it's time to just pull that rug right out of, from under the demonic and say no more, because we were created to roar. And that roar goes forth with the masculine and the feminine. All right, so let's go to Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Now, if you want to think about this, Genesis 1.27, this is before, um, again, it's before Eve was created. It's before, you know, God puts Adam down for a little nap to do some creative surgery. Okay, never knew what, know what God will do when you're sleeping. And so, um, you know, in all of this, God says, basically, it's not good for Adam to be alone. Amen. There we go. There we go. And so, Personally, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in a moment, but personally, I believe that as God put Adam down for that, that I'm sure well-deserved nap, um, and, he, and he separated something out, it was that feminine nature of God. God created man in his own image, male and female, he created them, okay? And so God was going and saying this part, because Adam needs a helper, because Adam needs, it's not good for him to be alone, I'm going to fashion something else out. Okay, I'm going to fashion. Ladies, just a little side note to help you. The guys were created from the dust of the ground. You were fashioned. Okay. For you guys, that explains all our shopping. Okay. So just say, honey, you're fashioned. Go for it. Okay. All right. So when we look at this, and we're going to work a little bit backwards, it goes on, it says, in verse 18, it says, I will make a suitable helper, right? That word has gotten us into all sorts of trouble, so just hear me out for a bit. Um, again, in other words, it takes two to complete the one. The word translated helper is easier. It's used 19 times in the Old Testament, twice to describe a wife, 17 times to describe God himself. Ladies, you're not God, okay? But hear that word easier, that word helper. There's a power that goes behind it, an image of who God is, of God himself. An example would be Psalm 24, verse 8. Our helper, easier, is in the name of the Lord. 
It's not a subservient role, but a completion or companion role. Hear me? It's not subservient. It's a completion or a companion. Every time the word easier is used in the Old Testament, there's military language involved. So God created the woman to be a strong ally for the man. Okay? We talk about standing up for our man, fighting for our man. Okay, that strong warrior arises. But when we look at the term helper, we've kind of in our heads, in our Western mindsets, it's kind of become like, oh, the good little helper, you know. That's not it. That's not what that word means. There is a power and a force that resides in that word that cannot be properly translated into the English language. Okay, so there is a, you, you are full, ladies, you are full of power. Mm -hmm. If you look at Proverbs 31, just a little side note, because whenever we talk about women, we talk about Proverbs 31, right? So all I'm doing today is touching on it. But if you really read through it, the woman described there, is she sitting at home? She rocks, man. She's going out, and she's buying, and she's selling, and she's knowing. And her husband's sitting at the gate of the town. But the wording is she is also known. Okay, it is a strong union of power which changes everyone around. Okay, it's not being handed $5 and saying make the groceries fit into this. There's a trust, there's an authority that rises up. She carries the ability to make decisions along with him. Okay, so... The thing is, again, we will only walk in wholeness when we recognize what the men carry and what the women carry and bring them together. The other thing that I want to go back to that thing about rib, you know, this is the only place in the Bible that I could find, and I, I am not a Greek or Hebrew scholar, that's Dave, okay, but it is the only place I could find in the Bible where the word Tesla, not the car, just make that, I, I actually looked up how to pronounce it. And, I, and they're like, Tesla. I'm like, oh, it really is that easy. Okay. It is the only place in the Bible where the word Tesla is translated rib. There are ten places in the Old Testament where Tesla is translated side chamber. Okay. Think about this. We talk about a rib. It's like God took any old rib. If it's translated side chamber, what if he took the side chamber of the heart? What if he took that depth? What if he took that passion? What if he took that part? Remember, man was created in the image of God. In the image of God, he created them. And so basically, he took a chamber that housed something. Maybe that was more of the intuitive nature, the touchy-feely side that he took and said, I'm going to fashion this. I'm going to take this out. And that part, I'm going to put over here and fashion it into a woman so that when there's synergy, when these two come together, there's a wholeness created. It makes it, it, for me, it makes a big difference when I realize that it's not just any old rib. Okay, taken from the chamber of the heart. Okay, it changes how, how we look at things. 
I also want you to, th to think about this. Um, from here, as we were to move forward in Genesis, Adam goes and, you know, he begins to prophesy. You know, he, he sees her and, you know, that's a whole wow moment. But then he goes on and he's like, he begins to prophesy. And one of the things he says is a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. You understand that Adam and Eve didn't know mom and dad? His father was God. He was prophesying just like he prophesied over the animals and spoke their names. He says, this is, who, this is who we are to become. This is who she is. And he begins to set the stage for this thing we call marriage. It's, it's a prophetic act taking forth right at that place. As we move into the testimony, some of those bumpy verses come across. Thank you, Paul. Um, so one of the things that, that I want to talk about a little bit about just briefly is the history here. Because um, the history, the Bible was written during a certain time and space, right? Okay. So one of the things we can look at is what it looked like in some cultures to be a first century Gentile woman. And this is going to become really important as I begin to weave it all together. So in Macedonia, the women actually built temples. They founded cities. They engaged armies. They held fortresses. They were regents and co-founders. And honestly, men admired their wives. That was Macedonia. It doesn't mean they had the, everything right, because believe me, they didn't. We're going to get to that. Um, in Thessalonica, the women were given civil rights. And this is also where Lydia founded the church at Philippi after she was led to the Lord in the book of Acts. Okay, if you want to look that up, that's in Acts 16. Okay, Rome, things were more restrictive. Women were sold to their husbands. But both male and female had education. Women could also inherit, and they had the rights to divorce. The other thing, with the cities that Paul wrote to, there was a strong female deity in those cities. Keep that in mind. There was a strong female deity. Okay, let's take a look real quick at first century Jewish women. At this point in time in history, remember we're talking first century, they basically had no rights very little voice, many had very little formal education, marriages were arranged, they had little political influence, and of course with the temple they were relegated to the outer court. This is the culture that Jesus stepped into. Okay, this is where he was walking, this is where he was ministering. Um, and we, we're looking at these because when we talk about the conflict that's in the body of Christ or our misunderstanding, what we're struggling with, we need to understand some of the culture. Let me put it this way. One writer made this statement. Can you imagine putting an African-American in office as president of the United States in 1865, right after the Civil War, when the Emancipation Proclamation had just been signed in 1862? There would be absolutely no reason that, that an African-American couldn't be president, right? And we saw that come to pass in 2009 with Barack Obama. 
But the thing is, the culture had to begin to shift. And it takes time to change a culture. There's many other examples of this. If you want a, another example, a very negative example, the whole, um, can I get in trouble? Okay. Um, the whole gay rights movement began with 3% of the population was very, very targeted. And look at how much they have shifted culture. Okay, why? Because the church lost its roar. Because the body of Christ forgot what it means to stand on the word of God. So we gave up territory. Let me just state here uh, real quick, any... No, I'm going to come back to that. Never mind. Okay. So as we look at this whole shift in cultures, this is part of the reason why Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman is so powerful. If we go to John 4, real quick, 21 to 24, I'm going to read this out of the Passion Translation. It says, Believe me, dear woman, the time has come when you will worship the Father neither on a mountain nor in Jerusalem, but in your heart. Your people don't really know the one they worship, but we Jews worship out of our experience. For it's from the Jews that salvation is available. From now on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with a right heart. For God is a spirit, and he longs to have sincere worshipers who adore him in the realm of spirit and in truth. Okay, with this, this is so important. It's easy to just read over. Okay, Jesus had a conversation with a woman. But this was a Samaritan woman. She was a Samaritan. Jews weren't to be talking to the Samaritans. Okay, she was a woman. He shouldn't have been talking to a woman. She'd been married five times. And she was currently living with a man. From a social, cultural standpoint, even from the religious traditions, the laws, he was stepping out of the cultural norms in order to reach him or to reach her in that spot. Does that make sense? So he was already shifting culture. He was beginning to shake things up. Why do you think the disciples came back confused that he was talking to a woman, but unsure they should say anything? Because it wasn't aligning with what they understood, with what their religious traditions were. It wasn't making any sense. You see, the religious leaders would never allow her to step into a synagogue. She would never qualify as a pastor, a leader, an elder, or a deacon in many churches today for numerous reasons. And yet Jesus broke the social and religious systems to talk to her. The conversation changed her. She ran into town, turned the town upside down by sharing that encounter and her testimony. Her story has now been told for generations and is in the word of God. And she was the first person that we know of that Jesus personally introduced himself to as the Messiah. He had a value for men. He had a value for women. He was not going to let the cultural or religious traditions keep him. He was, he was roaring as a lion with that type of power with a gentle conversation. So with that, let's talk about this before we dive further into Paul, good old Paul. The Bible, word of God here, as the canon was developed, has 40 writers. 40 writers wrote parts of this. It's written over 1,450 years. It's written in several countries and in various cultures. 
Some, of course, under the Old Covenant, some under the New Covenant. And one man, out of 40 authors, one man, Paul, put restrictions on women. Think about that. Okay, 40 authors and one man put restrictions on women. Paul writes to nine different churches or church leaders, but he only specifically restricts women in three of those locations. While other places he actually empowers them. Very important again, the locations where Paul restricted women were locations that worshipped very strong female deities. Hear me, where he put those restrictions on were in locations where the main gods of the culture were very, very strong female deities. Again, Jesus entered the world to bind up the brokenhearted and to set the captives free, right? He came to bring healing to men and to women. Some of the other things that we we stumble over as we talk about this is the 12 apostles. Were they men or were they women? They were all men. Of course they were. Look at the culture. Of course they were. They had to be. That's who Jesus called. And I love what, what Pastor Dave said a few weeks ago where he said he made this comment at the end. And he said, as he's wrestling through all this, the best he could figure out is every single man, you have a leadership mantle on your life. I'm, I'm changing his wording a little bit, but you can correct me if, I, if it needs to be. Women, some women have a call to lead. I really like that. I, I just love that rising up, calling forth the men into that leadership position that's part of what God put in your DNA. And remember, there's leading at different levels. Okay? Women... You're also called to be a leader, but it looks different. And so some have a gift of leadership. Both come, when, when we come together, there's a power and authority. So I really appreciated that. I thought that was a really good way to put it. Did I capsulate that? Okay. All right. Um, so, but here's the thing. So we talk about these 12 disciples being all men, and Pastor Dave also alluded to this briefly. In Romans 16.1, he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is, or Phoebe, who is a servant. Okay, here we go again. That word translated servant can also be translated deacon or minister. Okay, that same word in Philippians 1.1 and 1 Timothy 3.8 is translated deacon. What it comes down to with that particular word is quite often when it's translated in association with a woman, it's translated servant. When it's translated in association with a man, it's deacon or minister. Okay, these are, you know, I was at a conference last week and there was a woman, a Korean woman, who shared and she made a comment that really caught me. And she said, the English language, every language has its restrictions, okay? And so she, she said, when I read the Bible in Korean, there are certain things that read different because of the translation than what they read in English. And she began to talk about this need to go back to the Greek, the Hebrew, and to try to understand because we get so caught in our cultural limited interpretation that we miss the fullness of what's being said. 
And I just sat there thinking about this message going, oh my gosh, wow. Because there's so much truth. Like it hit me so hard in trying to understand when our language does restrict us. Like that word for love. Okay? We know there's multiple words for love with different meanings. But in English, we have how many words for love? One. Okay? So um, the other thing we have, of course, in Romans 16, we have Priscilla mentioned first, which means she was the stronger leader in that marriage. The one who's mentioned first in Scripture is the primary focus. Okay? Does that make sense? It, we see that over and over in the Word of God. We also know that she taught Apollos. So, I mean, she taught Apollos, who's a guy, and she taught him. We find that in Acts 18.26. We also have Junia, who's mentioned in Romans 16, of being noteworthy among the apostles. Now, some, some translators have struggled with this so much that they have actually changed that name to a masculine form because they struggle so much to take and put a feminine name with the office of apostle. Okay? So let me offer a couple other things that come with some of these stumbling blocks. This is just, you know, your normal Sunday morning little message here. Thank you, Dave. Um, yeah, seriously, when he asked me to do this, I, I got off the phone and I'm like, Oh my gosh. Uh, I, uh, yeah. Oh, thanks. Thanks. All right. There we go. All right. Let's go to 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 15. Here we go. Thank you, Paul. Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. For God made Adam first, and afterwards he made Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived, and sin was the result. But women will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. Let me read it out of the message. I don't let women take over and tell the men what to do. They should study to be quiet and obedient along with everyone else. Adam was made first, then Eve. Woman was deceived first, our pioneer in sin, with Adam right at her heels. On the other hand, her childbearing brought about salvation, reversing Eve. But this salvation only comes to those who continue in faith, love, holiness, gathering into all maturity. You can depend on this. Okay, this particular passage, which is translated into roughly 50 words, has become the chief cornerstone verse against women being up here, women having leadership roles, women teaching men, all of that. You name it, this is the, this is the passage. Um, Timothy, at this point, was ministering in a culture where the Artemis cult was the cult, that's a female leader, a female goddess. Remember what I said in the places where Paul spoke to women being quiet, being submissive, where these letters bring some restriction in, are only in cities where there is a very, very strong female deity. And so, you know, a couple things. One is, the Artemis cult elevated the women over the men. She was also the god of fertility and believed to protect women during childbirth. Okay, that's the belief system that, that this letter, that Timothy was ministering. That's what was coming in. And so, you know, we know if you work backwards from verse 14, 
Okay, and it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived. Sin was the result. Um, I love what Pastor Dave uh, pondered when he was preaching on masculinity was the fact that Adam was the one given the instruction by God, even though Eve was the one who sinned. If either one of them had taken the responsibility, I have to wonder what the outcome would have been. Okay, we can learn from that. Like, if we don't play the blame game, everything changes. And so, you know, you're wondering about that. Just take a moment to ponder what would have happened. And, and we don't know what Adam said to Eve. But let's say he didn't tell her what God had said. We don't know. Let's say she didn't understand. But we also know that Satan is very crafty, right? And she had an encounter with Satan himself in that moment. So if we keep going back uh, to verse 13, as I already said, um, those worshiping Artemis elevated the female or, or the feminine over the masculine, and they actually believed that the female god appeared first and then her counterpart. So is it possible when Paul is saying that man was created first and then woman that he's correcting a belief system? Because they believed that the woman was created first, and then the man. In other words, could he just bring, be bringing biblical creation into order over the, over the scope of a belief system? Now, as I mentioned that, some of you guys are like, but, well, think of how many things from our culture has seeped into the church right now. And we're saying are okay because they're part of the culture. We have to be in the Word. We have to study the Word. We have to do tough messages like what Pastor Dave's been doing. This narrative message is very timely and very, very important because otherwise this can be us so easily. Okay, so, so easily. If we go back to verses 11 and 12, uh, Kroger and Kroger conclude that this could be translated, I do not allow a woman to teach nor proclaim herself author of a man. Remember the cult. Remember the time frame. What was the belief system of the people? Woman was created first, then man. Woman had the power. Women had the authority. Man was subservient. Woman did not create man. God created man. Period. Okay? So, you know, so we look at all that, and then if we move on to 1 Corinthians 11, and we're just going to do a couple verses here. Verse 3, here's the one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Go down to verse 11. But among the Lord's people, women are not independent of men. Men are not independent of women. For although the first woman came from a man, every man was born from a woman, and everything comes from God. You see the order here? The head of every man is Christ. That's going to become very, very important as we keep going. The head of every woman is man. The head of Christ is God. But among women are not, when we come to the body of Christ, the women are not independent of men. And, just say and, the men are not independent of women. It's the unity, it's the created order, it's the unity that God has called us to be. 
Because, yep, that first woman, Eve, was fashioned out of man. But every man since that time can't get here without the woman. Okay, it takes, it takes both. And so that it's bringing into order, again, what the Lord is saying. You see, if we look at this, the head of Christ is God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay, there's a created order there. But does that strip anything from Father? Does it strip anything from Jesus? Does it strip anything from Holy Spirit? But they operate, each one, yes, three in one, we talk it all, all about all of that. But it's bringing order and synergy, and each one actually has a specific role that they play. Does that make sense when we look at it? So when we're looking at this, and we're saying, the head of every man is Christ. Men, you submit to the Lord, right? The head of every woman is man. Well, you know, one of the consequences of the, of the fall is that a woman's desire would be for her husband. And you guys are going, yes! And the women are going, but! We'll talk about that in a moment. <laughs> I'm going to leave you hanging right there. All right? Anyways, the line of authority, a God-given line of authority, is never meant to reduce, oppress, or suppress. Okay, let me say that again. A godly line of authority is never meant to reduce, oppress, or suppress. It's always meant to empower. It's always meant to bring glory. It's always meant to point to the Lord. So with that in mind, another verse we're going to take a look at is Ephesians 5, 21 to 23. And further, submit to one another out of reverence of Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love your wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. The two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Okay. I want to say this to the men. Are you loving your wife the way that Christ loved the church? I mean, thank you. I mean, that's vulnerability. That's a really high mark. That, and, and, that's, and this isn't meant as shame or condemnation or anything. It's just the Lord saying, guys, I've given you this precious gift. Are you loving her? Are you loving her the way that I love you? Okay? And so it, it's just this, 
Are you loving her in such a way she's called to holiness and to purity? Are you forgiving the cleansing of God's word? Okay. You see, let me talk to the women. Are you submitting to your husbands out of reverence for Christ? How are you doing with that one? Anyone brave enough to answer that one? We have some work to do, don't we? You see, here's the key. Guys, if you love your wife like Christ loved the church, she will respect you. If you love your wife as Christ loved the church, you're going to see that Proverbs 31 woman come forward because that's who she's created to be. If you love your wife as Christ loved the church, it will also go well with you. Ladies, if you ask the Lord to help you love your husband with the type of love that the Lord showed on you, if you're pressing in for more and more of God, but you're not asking him to help you see your husband through his eyes, then you're falling short. The other thing I want to point out about this passage is it's only talking about husbands and wives. There is a belief system out there that women submit to all men. That is not true. That is not true. You are not called to submit to all men. You are called to submit to your husband as unto the Lord, and your husband is called to love you as Christ loved the church. Changes everything, doesn't it? But you're not put under the feet of all men. God took you out of the side chamber, I'm going to use that term, the Tesla, of, of Adam's heart and fashioned you to walk alongside to become mighty in the kingdom of God, to become pure and spotless, both men and women, as the bride of Christ. But that only happens when we walk his way. So if you want to re-dream your marriage, you do it from this stance. And you ask the Lord to bring honor there. So again, when the Bible tells a woman to submit to her husband, it's not to all men. And if you're wondering about that, even this, this will get you thinking. We have a mighty woman of God in, in Abigail in 1 Samuel 25. And her husband made some really bad decisions. And she covered him. She went out and saved his life from the natural consequences. Saved David from doing something that he should not do. And God dealt with her husband. It, it intrigues me because when I read through it, I'm like, wow, you know, in a sense, she really honored Nabal, whose name means fool, and he was acting out in that name. Don't ever name your kids Nabal. Jess, Mike, no, no baby name of Nabal, okay? Okay, thank you. Um, you know, and, and, but she, in, in protecting him and going out and coming in and intervening, she actually did respect him and honor him. But God had the judgment on that. Anyway, it's just something to dive into at some point. The other thing I want to say about the uh, woman's rights movement, because I want to point this out too, because this is another thing that Pastor David mentioned that was so powerful when he was talking about 
biblical masculinity is that the feminist movement was needed, right? There are certain movements, there's some going on today that are needed, okay? And like you were, I haven't listened to last week yet, but you, you spoke on social justice. I'm sure that rattled a few cages. Okay, there are movements that are needed to set the captives free. Okay, to bring people up into their God-given standard, to get rid of the ethnic issues and the racial issues and the, and the socioeconomic issues and all this other stuff that's out there, okay? But this is what I want us to hear. Any movement that is birthed out of rebellion will eventually breed rebellion. Okay, let me say that again. Any movement that is birthed out of rebellion will eventually breed rebellion. Any movement that is birthed out of the truth of the word of God, out of what scripture says, out of the heart of the Father, will roar with love and will bring freedom. There is a huge difference. And so all these movements that have been necessary, unfortunately, many of them were birthed out of pain and rebellion rather than being birthed out of the love of the body of Christ. And if they had been birthed out of the love of the body of Christ because the bride of Christ, remember guys, you're part of the bride. Ladies, remember, you're a son of God, okay? So, you know, just to bring some equality there. But if we would birth out of who God says and how he defines men and women and how he talks about his people, we would shake the earth like there's no tomorrow. People would be running to the Lord because they would see authenticity they would see hope. They would see the one true God. But as long as we're allowing the things to be birthed out of rebellion instead of out of love, we, we stop short because ultimately it might look good in the moment, but it will breed rebellion. So that's something when you're looking at what to jump on board with, what's the conception of it? What was it birthed in? And if it's a good cause, a good stance, then you want to find out a way to birth in love, to way to birth in the power of God. So I was trying to think, one of the things that I was asked to address specifically is what submission looks like. And um, I just want to commend Mark because we have one of those marriages that it's really easy because I know he is working on loving me as Christ loved the church. And that's part of how I'm up here. And I'll take that 10% of his brain that's larger later and we'll work on bringing it right back down to size. Okay. But, um, <laughs> um, so I was trying to think, and all I could think of was two situations that really stood out. One was, he's an excavation contractor, and he wanted to buy a new backhoe. Now, they're not cheap, okay? They're, they're definitely not cheap. And we were not having a great year in business. And he really felt the Lord had told him to go buy a new backhoe. And I did not have that word from the Lord. Let me just say, I did not have that word from the Lord, okay? There was not a yes or an amen or anything in my heart. In fact, if I wasn't careful, it would be fear of financial ruin. Okay? And yet, I, I just sat back and I'm like, you know what, Lord, you put him in this position. You've called him into that business. I have to make a decision to trust and honor him in that position as the man of the house 
that this has to be okay, and I'm just going to support him. Later on, we realized it was the best move. The timing was perfect. They were changing a bunch of things. Pricing was going up. He was on track. But, <laughs> but <laughs> oh, you're going to be in so much trouble later. Um, but you see, it's, that's the hand of God. And, and I've actually counseled quite a, a number of people, both men and women, and I've said, if you're both walking with the Lord, if you wait on a major decision and begin to pray about it together, God will bring unity. Like, I look at that as a unified decision because I made a choice to trust the Holy Spirit in him that he was hearing from the Lord, and I was just going to come along. I was going to submit to that decision, so to say. And it was right. What was that? An unsaved husband is a little bit harder. Okay, because again, man, you're just, you, you really want to get me into a lot of trouble, don't you? Oh, thanks. Thanks to both of you guys. Okay, so a number of things. One is how big is our God? How big is our God? And so for those of you who have unbelieving spouses, number one, one of the things we're told by Scripture is not to be beating them over the head with the gospel, but to live a life that shows, that exemplifies the word of God and that they'll actually be drawn by our actions. You know, actions speak louder than words. So if that decision doesn't go against the counsel of God, can you honor him because he's created in the image of God, even though technically, it, ladies, you're, you're spiritual head of the household. You are. You are. You're, you're carrying that atmosphere. And then there are times when you're going to become an Abigail. And you're not. And so then ask the Lord for the wisdom as to how to step in so that his name is glorified. So often when we are married to somebody who is not a believer, um, we don't believe that God can work in and through them. Um, but our God's pretty big. And with that, I'm going to say, ladies, I'm going to put a caveat here. You are not created to be beaten. You're not created to be abused. Okay. And that's a whole nother sermon topic, but you need to know right here that if you are being beaten, if you're being abused, that does not mean that you stay and put up with that. You're not created to be a punching bag. You see, you weren't created out of Adam's foot that you could be stomped on, and you weren't created out of his hand that you could be hit. Okay, the man is, we, is the stronger sex. That's the way God made it. But that's not so that you can be beat up on. Okay, so if you're in that situation, I want you to find somebody to talk to. And, um, I mean, I have had men come into my office saying, I am demanding because I'm the head of the household that you send my wife home. And I'll look at them and I'll say, stop beating the crap out of her and we'll talk. Like, I mean, okay, so we have to look at the heartbeat of God. But, again, back to your, back to your question. When it's an unbelieving husband... I would make it a huge, huge, huge matter of prayer. And to ask the Lord for those creative ideas that can show him the love of the Lord. Okay? Never limit God because your spouse is not walking the same road you are. 
There are many, many testimonies of people whose spouses have been saved because of the walk that, that they've had with the Lord. If you need to, pull up testimonies. Listen to them, listen to them, stir that faith. And I'm going to say something else. When you pray for your husband, pray blessing over them. Not curses. Pray blessing. Okay. Um, the other place when we were talking about um, even, you know, um, one of the things David mentioned was raising your children. And I remember one of our kids wanted to do something, and I'm not going to go into detail because I want to protect them. But I remember Mark saying to me, I don't think it's a good idea. And I was convinced that what they were doing, there was no way around it, that it was the right, that the stance we needed to take as parents was right. And we did things my way, and I can tell you in hindsight, he had the wisdom of the Lord. I did not. Okay, so don't let your own story, your own emotions, you know, God brings us to work together. So when we talk about the men wanting just the facts, the bullet points, and we're feeling our way through it. Remember, feelings sometimes lie. And remember, the facts without the feelings sometimes lie. So that's where, when we come together in the fullness of who God's created us to be, there's a wisdom that comes forth in every area of life. Everything. Everything from finances to homes to work to rearing children to, you know, different seasons of life. Okay. So the other thing I want to say to you women... Um, we talked about uh, Paul saying that uh, by childbirth, a woman will be saved. Now, if you want to pull that out of Scripture, out of context, out of the whole of Scripture, that means that as long as you've had a baby, ladies, you're good, you're going to heaven. See, you laugh, but isn't that what we do? We take these certain Scriptures and we're like, I'm going to take this one and I'm going to put it over here because I kind of like it and it makes me feel really comfortable. Okay. What's the way to heaven? Jesus. Okay? But remember, in that culture, that was a god of fertility and protected the woman during childbearing. In other words, belief in Artemis would save the woman in a time when they lost a lot of babies. Okay? The whole council of Scripture. The whole council of Scripture. Okay. So, let me wrap this up. I know it's getting late. Um, real quick, women... If you value that men are created, if you believe that men are created in the image of God, if you recognize gifts above gender, if you become secure in your identity as a daughter of God, and understand that your highest calling is not to bear children, your highest calling is to walk in intimacy with God. If you are married and respect your husband, then the demand ceases to exist. We change a narrative based on the word of God rather than on our wounding. We bring wholeness to the bride of Christ. The church, the body of Christ, begins to walk in the fullness of power and bringing heaven to earth. In other words, everything changes. For you men, if you find yourself walking in insecurity, it's time to shore up your identity, who God created you to be. You can only love your wife is Christ loved the church if you're secure in your identity. You can only empower women to walk into their fullness, whether it's in, in the church or in corporate world, if you understand your identity because that stops the power struggle. If our godly men would understand their identity and our godly women would understand their identity, think of the union there would be.
When that union arises, we talk about the church being unified. But there's something here, even, um, why do you think uh, there's more women who are prophetic than men? Intuition. Part of what women tend to carry, I didn't hear that other comment, by the way. Do I need to hear that other comment? No, I don't need to hear that other comment. Okay, it's from, it's from our rabble rousers back there. Okay, so, so we know when we look at men and we look at women, women are more intuitive. Okay, so there will be a higher number of women probably who prophesy than men. Does that mean men cannot prophesy? No, of course not. Absolutely not. But you will see a higher number of women. Um, but when we look at a lot of the, um, the teaching and preaching gifts, we're going to, even as we bring health and wholeness back in, we're probably going to see a higher number of men in that because of the warrior and the leadership gifts on their life, okay? But does that mean that a woman cannot lead or a woman cannot be a warrior? No. You know, little, because you guys weren't going to answer that, so I, I just, okay. One other little thing um, that I found intriguing, and I want to, I know I'm getting late. I apologize. I'll wrap it real quick. Yeah, yeah. One thing I just want to, and Dave, you might need, I did not go back and fully research this, but it was just one of those things where I read it, and it was like, oh, my gosh. Um, we've talked a lot about the, the women around the temple course. We've talked a lot about um, some of the challenges with that, but I looked at a couple resources that talked about women were placed around the doors of the temple, in, both within the cults and also within Christianity, because a woman will tread on the head of the serpent. They were actually put there to keep the demons from impacting the worship going on in the temple. If the church wants to roar, why do you think the demonic is so busy trying to keep the women down? Because the curse put on the serpent is that the women, the woman will tread. The one you deceived, the one who, you, who opened this whole door for sin and rebellion, she's going to be the one to tread. So some of you women who you find rising up with you, that spiritual warfare, where you see you identify where the demonic are, that's why. Women are also warriors. It's got a different look than the men. That's why the women were stationed at the doors of the temple. Because the culture understood the authority that they carried because of the curse that was placed on Satan at the fall. The consequence was that there would be a power and authority that rises up with women. That's part of the reason why our battle is so great. Okay, so real quick, biblical woman. Is a woman walking in her God-given identity, unaffected by the world's image, unaffected by religious pressure, and using her God-given gifts to impact the world around? And with that, I'm going to invite Pastor Dave up. He wanted to say something. Let him say that. And then we're just real quick going to close us out with a quick activation, maybe. Okay. That's good. Look, I know it's, it's a little longer, and part of that was with worship, but it's kind of to steal one of the worst phrases from the COVID experience is, it's the new normal, right? <clears throat> I, really, I really was just feeling the Holy Spirit was just prompting me to come up and, and just not change anything that the Ruth said, but just reiterate, because it's really important. The first thing is this, 
How many of you have sat in a church experience hearing a message like this? Look around. I have, growing up, by the way, but, right? I mean, the two of us, okay? That is a major problem, okay? This is dealing with things of sound doctrine. If you have been in a church where you've not received sound doctrine, it's not the right place to be. You, it, there's a time not just for the, the feel-goods. There's a time to provide doctrine. That's what needs to happen, right? And that's a, that's a failure of the church. That's, that's one thing I wanted to say. The second thing is you really, especially if you're a male and you're like, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? You, you really need to slow down and listen to this message again. Because as, as crazy as it may be how you're hearing it, I think you might be hearing it through a damaged eardrum and a damaged lens. You need to re-listen it, re-listen to it, especially when dealing with Priscilla and Phoebe. It's very clear in the scripture that they're in positions of leadership. There's no question. So you, you really need to re-listen to it. You need to take a look at the biblical commentaries, legitimate ones, and you're going to see that there are clearly females that are being used as, as apostles. There are one, uh, one that is actually uh, seeming like she's a, a head of a church, but really in context with her husband. So you really need to re-listen to this again because <clears throat> one of the big things that I really like what Ruth was saying is if you're not paying attention to context, right, you're going to get into major problems. For example, you have to understand that just 60 years ago, south of the Mason-Dixon line, there are preachers that are using Genesis 9 to say how slavery is appropriate and godly or segregation is. No one in this room would say that. But if you are a Southerner, six, just 60 years ago, you're going to listen to a pastor who throws out one scripture verse and will hold on to that one scripture verse and create a whole narrative to it. So maybe this is the, this is, maybe this is the segregation for some of you. Maybe this is, oh, wait, wait, what does the Bible really say about it? Another thing I just wanted to reiterate, <clears throat> because, you know, this is new for a lot of people here. I don't mean to do that, right? Look, we, we switch to each other in love, right? But, you know, one, one of the things when talking about this, another thing that people um, talk about, like, you know, my son, I really want my son to be able to, to, to be led underneath a male, this, that, and the other thing. And look, if you, <laughs> as a family, are looking to solely the church and the woman's teacher downstairs or the pastor to be leading your family, you already have it backwards. Do you hear that? I am not the leader of your home. I am not the leader of your children. I'm surely not the leader of your husbands, and I'm definitely not the leader of your wives. Right? I'm the leader of this congregation in this setting. But in your families, you need mom to rise up and teach your sons and daughters. You need your husbands, I may probably should say this twice, to rise up and teach your sons and your daughters. You need both. That's the coming together side by side. The other thing is, you know, I, just, I was really just touched by, you were talking about the, the situation with, uh, with Mark wanting to buy a backhoe, and I was like, I know, talk to my wife about buying some things after service. No, but the, the thing that I, I just, I felt the Lord was really on was, it just, it came to me like, you as a family saw such fruit from that experience, Right? And I felt like the Holy Spirit was just, was, was just hitting me. And it, it may not have been this way, but, you know, what if, what if you, like, were not 
supporting, probably, you know, supporting Mark in that. You're saying, I'm, I'm going to really listen to what the Lord was saying. You know, would the fruit, ha- would the fruit have been as rich? Here's the thing. When we don't support our husbands, they can't rise into who God's called them to be. When our husbands don't support us, we can't rise into who God's called us to be. Okay, so is having that honoring and respect one for another? If I had pushed back, if if he had ended up not purchasing that, do I think that it would have negatively impacted our lives in the business? I will say yes. On this side, I will say yes. So, you know, what it was meaning with that is maybe there still would have been fruit in the Hendrickson's' home because of Mark listening to the Lord. But when Ruth aligns herself, the word is saying about supporting her husband, right, in this, even when you're feeling like maybe this isn't it. I, I believe in that context, right, there is an even a greater flowering of blessing. Because you're doing that. And so before we get into time of blessing for each side, I wanted to say this. You know, particularly for, for males out there, if this is like hitting some of your nerves, look, this is, this is a church where we want to come together and talk and, 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 and hear each other. I would say this, though. If this is something that you're like, Dave, I just don't like this, I would suggest this. Before we even talk about this, you need to spend four or five days just stepping away from it. Listen to this sermon again and really process what Ruth was saying because I'm in 110% agreement. Um, listen to what she's saying one more time and then let's come together and let's reason together as the word says. Because I know for some of you this is new. For some of you this may even be in opposition of what you've been taught. But it's my belief is because people are not understanding the full context of things. And we've been so bruised and wounded by things. So I want to be able to talk about it. But I want you to spend a couple days. And I want you to listen to it again. And then we can come and reason together. Amen? Because that's what the body's supposed to do. Right? Not have like church splits over, you know, which coffee we offer in the cafe. Right? All right. So I'll hand it back over to Ruth. Thank you. Okay. So if you have ten more minutes... There's a certain way we want to wrap this all up. Is that okay? If you have to go, we understand. Okay. But so much within the body of Christ, within our culture, is tearing apart the good of the masculine and the good of the feminine, rather than honoring and blessing. So what I want to do is something that will remind you guys of church of old, very, but we want to break that off, but we're going to do it because of prophetic act. If you guys don't mind moving, I'm going to ask the men to come on this side of the room. I'm going to ask the ladies to come over here. And there's a reason for this. Okay, there is a reason. All right. So can we move real quick? You can leave your stuff. You're just going to be for a few minutes. But men over here, ladies over here. Kathy Tonkey, can you come up here and join me, please? Don't you love it when people do this to you? It's like, let's really mess everything up. That's okay. Either way. Either, you know what? You know what? Yes. Everyone come up. Sorry. Everyone come on up. That's even better. Thank you. That's Josh, by the way. That was Pastor Josh. No, just, just women on this side, men on the other side.
I, I did not say that. I heard that, though. Wow. Okay. So this is what we're going to do. Um, so pastors Dave and Josh, and then Kathy and I, um, we want to just t go through some ministry time because we understand there's a lot of wounding, there's a lot of brokenness, but we also want to bless you into who God's called you to be. So Kathy and I are going to start, and we're going to speak specifically to the men, and then we're going to turn the mic over to pastors uh, Dave and Josh and let them speak to the women. Okay, and I want to encourage you, even as, as, as Pastor Jamie is, the music is flowing, just begin to receive what the Lord has for you. Ask him for visions, ask him for, for words, okay? So to the men, just close your eyes and let the Lord minister to you. On behalf of the women, we want to ask your forgiveness for the ways that we have held you back, for the ways that we have not encouraged you to become the man that God called you to be, for the times when we have not allowed you to lead, when the times that we haven't even seen you in the image of God, we ask your forgiveness. And we right now, we stand, we acknowledge that you are mighty men, that you are created in the image of God, that you are called to lead. And we call you into that. We call you to be men of impact for the kingdom of heaven. We call you to see the goodness of God, to see what he is doing, to lead from that perspective, to lead from a heavenly perspective. We just bless you in your journey. We bless you for more. Yeah, and I just want to repent on behalf of women to our men and the men here for the way that we have made you feel less than in the body of Christ. And as I just said to my husband last night, I had this revelation. I said, honey, you're like a gatekeeper where I felt like I was the one that was always running to God, that he's the one who stands outside the gate. He protects the altar. He protects the blood of Jesus. He protects the reality of who Christ is and what he's done for us. And so I honor you men today to, as gatekeepers, as those who are honored in the streets, you're honored in your business, you're honored in your families, you're honored in the church, and you are the ones who are trustworthy. And so I bless you today to be the men you're called to be. And we bless you with wisdom with wisdom that comes straight from the throne room of heaven. In fact, Father, we pray for an open portal for these men. Lord, that they would just receive the wisdom from the kingdom of heaven. Father, that you would bless them in every realm of life, from their marriages to their leadership, to finances, to business, to, to retirement. God, each and every season, each and every stage that they're at, God, you pour out your blessings because they are your sons. They are your sons. And just as so many men in Scripture were highly revered and they sat at the city gates, Father, I pray for a position of influence for these men to bring in, to usher in the things of God, to set people free for your glory. So right now, we just come and we break off those chains. We break them off in the name of Jesus. We break them off. And Lord, we come in your name and men we come as women and ask you to step into your place to step into that place of impact that you are created to have 
women of God, daughters of the King of Kings, of the best Father. I just stand in the gap as a man. every way that you've been abused by men used by men taken advantage of overlooked not appreciated suppressed ignored pushed out pushed under and I repent I ask for your forgiveness for your fathers who abused you and for your brothers who took advantage of you and for your sons who ran from you. I release the love of the Father, the one true Father, that it would penetrate deep, deeper and deepest into you that you would be empowered to take your place. That you would see yourself as God sees you, as the Father sees you. And even that the anointing that is supposed to be resting on your life would be made manifest as you step into this. And I bless you with the ability to see yourself rightly. And to submit yourself to God and to do what he says to do and for those of you who have unbelieving husbands that God would give you divine strategy that as you submit yourself to God and you choose to love God and to love your husband and release blessings that you'll see the desires of your heart be made manifest so please forgive us father forgive us Forgive us. In Jesus' name, we receive it. Amen. I just keep seeing on the cycle of love and respect. There's a book that was written a while ago about love and respect and how men are to love their wives and women are to respect their husbands. And if, if one is faltered, then it causes everything to spin out of control meaning that a woman is not going to respect her husband unless she feels the love and a husband may not love his wife the way that he should until he receives respect and I just feel prophetically that we are to just break that cycle right now and we just say we just say women we are we are we are repentant if 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 and when any of us have not shown you the love and respect that we are to give that if we use past hurts to try to dictate a narrative that we're going to treat you. And so as, as, as the pastor of, of, of this church, and even as a representation of, of males, we just, we just speak goodness over you. And we speak love over you. And we just declare that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that you have a position in the church. You have a position in the bride of Messiah. And we just ask for your forgiveness for not loving you, not loving you the way that Christ loves the church. That if any of us have looked at you as a second tier citizen in the kingdom, 
when we have thought that our words or our ways or our ideas are more important than yours if we have led the wrong way not as Christ leads the church and we just pray a blessing over you a blessing a blessing that, that, that you would be a woman like Sarah and that you would be a woman like Rebecca and Rachel and Leah Lord that they would just be matriarchs in the kingdom Lord I even pray for those people those women here that are Phoebes and they don't know it yet or if they're Priscilla's and they don't know it yet Lord that you would just rise up in them a spirit of wisdom and understanding into those positions We just call them up, as your word says, as daughters of Zion. That you'd call them up. Mm. Lord, we just repent as a church, a big C church, that we haven't looked at the beauty, the way in which you fashioned both genders. And Father, we pray, especially in this house, that there would be a coming together that all the gifts and all the talents and all the personalities and all the characteristics of both genders would come together Lord into a powerful union to provide an answer to a world that needs you for your word says there's neither Jew nor Greek nor male or female but one in Messiah Amen Jamie's just going to end us on a, a note of just of some worship. Um, I know Clayton is here. and Clayton, if you could come on down with some of the others from the prayer team. If there are things that you want prayer for, but please come on down. But I, I, I just really feel this strongly. If you've had a warped sense of your gender, and what I mean by that is that you, you have not walked out your appropriate levels of, of manhood, if you have not walked out your appropriate levels of spirituality of womanhood, whether it's whether you're married or not, it doesn't matter. I just really feel that there's an opportunity for you to for you to get free from that baggage and for you to step into what the Lord has called you and assigned you to be. Amen? Amen. So we'll open up the front for some prayer. Clayton and some of the prayer team down here. Just just get set free, guys. It's so much better just being free. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next door at the cafe. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine.